So there are so many things going on in the world that we need to process. And today we're going to be talking a little bit about more, I guess, a heavier issue of trauma and how we process things like that through artistic practices. But in doing so, how do we bring humor in, humor in and how do we bring in all these different intersectional uh, ideas and walks of life that are all part of this conversation? So I'm so privileged to have with me Vietnamese American playwright, performer and author Susan Liu here with me to talk about um, her work, her productions, her creative arts and, uh, and things to say about life in general. So welcome, Susan, to KTUH. Thanks for having me. All right. So I'm going to just uh, share with everybody a little bit of your background so we can unpack a little bit more deeply what uh, your work's all about. With a vision for healing, Susan's work delves deeply into the lived, or excuse me, lived realities of body insecurity, grieving, and trauma with humor. Her first solo show, which was just performed online that I had just had the privilege of watching this weekend, called 140 Pounds, How Beauty Killed My Mother. It's a true story of how her mother died from plastic surgery malpractice when Liu was just 11 years old and her search to find her mother's killer. And so she had a 10 city national tour received press from things like LA Times, NPR, NBC News, and now K2H, how about that? Her work has been showcased with ACT, that's in San Francisco, right? I, I was- Act theater, um, This was the Act Theater in Seattle. Oh, okay. Because I, the only reason I say this, because I'm from San Fran, and I went to ACT, the American Conservatory Theater in San Fran, too. Not yet. Not yet. Okay. Okay. We'll be. Uh, Campfest, the Wing Look Museum, the Moth at the Benaroyal. How do you pronounce that? Benaroyal. Benaroya Hall. Yeah, it's a yeah. twenty. I love day. that show, the Moth. It's amazing, uh, and and so many more things. And more importantly, she has a BA from Harvard and MBA from Yale and is the co-founder of Socola Chocolatier, which I'm like, why is chocolate in the same sentence with Harvard and Yale? This is interesting. You're going to have to unpack that too. Um, and obviously you're, well, not obviously, but something that I want to learn more about is your debut memoir coming up, The Manicures' Daughter, which will be published in 2023. So welcome, welcome again, Susan. Thanks so much for having me. So, okay, I'm just going to start with the academic part because there is this stereotype of overachieving Asians, right? Do you feel like you fit in that category? I mean, of course, of course. <laughs> I, I went to two Ivy League schools and, and, I, and I think growing up, my parents, they didn't finish, they finished ninth grade in the Mekong Delta in a very rural village. Um, and so for them, they saw education as their way out as for freedom for their kids and so you know i i'm part of that lineage where getting a b was terrifying and maybe i'd get you know spanked or yelled at or it would just be a bad a bad day in the house so for me growing up my entire life i never even conceived of getting b's um i was getting those a's and it wasn't actually until my mom passed away that I started getting more involved in, with civic engagement. So community service, student government, things like that, because that wasn't their world. Like they didn't know that that's what you also need to do to get into college. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I've always been a high achiever. But do you think that is something that you have to have in yourself or is that something that's trained? You know, I mean, you can't say that all, I mean, you know, to 
reduce us to a certain type. I'm just trying to say like, you know, what there's got to be certain things that shaped you to push certain boundaries for yourself. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I, you, you learn it's it's all this is a nature versus nurture conversation. And <laughs> You know, I, I'm Vietnamese American. My parents uh, were refugees from Vietnam. And so we had a nail salon growing up and and I watched the refugee hustle all the time. I didn't know it was called grit. It was just called daycare. You know, it was just called where we work. It was it was our home. Um, and, and so watching my parents work all the time, like that was my norm. I didn't know that there was anything else. So maybe you could say, hey, it's from observing my parents that I, that instilled my work ethic. Um, I think for me, um, just me personally, like I, I, I drive really hard. I drive really hard. Like when I want something, I have pretty high expectations. I want it to be a certain way. And I think part of losing my mom when I was 11 made me really think about mortality mm-hmm. and about time. How much time do we have on our planet versus how much we think we do? Uh, because we don't know. And, and I think part of that has made me really intense about everything I do because I don't know when I'm going to die either. Do you think about death a lot because of your mom? I, maybe I have a, a like a healthier relationship with death where, yeah, I think about it sometimes. Um, and, and now I'm trying to be more proactive, like with, as an adult, you know, like having a will or actively talking to my partner about, do I want to be cremated or or buried? You know, like we're having these conversations in our thirties, whereas I think the previous generation maybe talked about it later on. Um, And and part of that is I just don't want to leave people with the burden and the messiness and the stress of the judgments of the decisions you make after someone has died, because that can create different forms of family drama. So, I mean, maybe we're a little bit more proactive about it, but I, I try to talk about death as much as possible, just so it's not mysterious and scary. Like, I, I just want us to know that this, the more that we can look at it, 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 um, I think it actually brings me less anxiety. Hmm. And I guess there are so many ways to explore this, this theme or this concept and this reality. And in your play, so I wanted to just go back to your play, 140 pounds, um, you know, you, you start with talking about how we shouldn't be digging into the past. And, you know, you give clips of your interviews with your family about how you shouldn't be doing this. You know, the Asian thing is, oh, my gosh, that's the past. And that's a, it's, it's, it's a it's not a good memory. Let's not let's not go there. We are so afraid to confront uncomfortable um, conversations. Uh, and I don't think this is necessarily an Asian thing. You know, it's a human thing. But what compelled you to open that up and say, okay, well, no, I, I need to dig into this and, and, and dig deeper. Yeah. So I had lost my mom when I was 11 and I've always wanted to know more about my mom and the nature of her death. And nobody in my family talked about it, her. Like she was like this big figure in our lives. You know, she was like the hero of our family. And all of a sudden one day she's just like invisible and gone. And she becomes this very mysterious myth to me. So for 20 years, we didn't talk about her. And after I, yeah. And so after I got married and my aunties and my dad were like, okay, you're not getting any younger. Let's start having these babies. I'm having anxiety myself thinking like, oh my God, like how do I be a mom if I don't, I didn't know her. 
um, am I really ready to do that? Like, cause I felt like this form of cowardice because for me, I, I've always had this calling to be on stage. And then I had like dipped my toe in it with stand-up comedy, little things here and there, but I would just get so anxious and traumatized um, and so scared of rejection and judgment that I never fully committed. So when I was in my thirties, I decided, you know, I'm going to do the performance thing. Just try it, give it a really good push as a hobby. And after I get it out of my system, I'll be good. Then I can make all the babies. <laughs> and what I didn't realize what was going to happen is that I found my voice in the topics I wanted to talk about. Like initially I didn't always want to talk about my mom's death, not at all because it is totally dirty laundry. Um, but I got to a point where for me to become a mom, I really wanted to know who she was. And I also wanted to confront my own demons around the fear I had about being on stage. Um, and so then I started iterating. Um, I had one iteration of 140 pounds and, and what you, you see today, the final product is the fourth iteration. Mm. Um, and, and that was a process of just really getting to know her and asking my family members, getting pushed away by my family members, asking different types of questions to different people, going through depositions and looking through different artifacts so that I can ask different types of questions and piece together maybe a snippet of what they said. What, what does this document say? And then I started to create the world in which now her legacy can live on. Mm. And in, in this process of research, you know, piecing things together, I'm sure there are so many elements that you may not have even thought about that kind of come into play in your understanding, right? Of life, of death, of family. And, and again, there's so many things to unpack. I want to try to do justice to just um, a few of them. And, and, and one of them is the idea of um, beauty standards, which you do kind of explore, you know, the title 140 pounds, that's implying like, what, is that too heavy? Is that a fact number? Um, is that a standard that we should be kind of, um, basing our standards of beauty on like you know so let's talk about that Let, let's talk about the title let's talk about how your film inadvertently you know through your mother's tragedy reveals how we're kind of sucked into these ideas of what perfection is and why we strive for it and we'll do anything for it yeah so do you ever have a situation where someone wants to look at your driver's license to look at your weight and you're like, oh, no, I'm not going to show you, you know, or like there's kind of or like, I don't want you to know what year I was born because yeah. I don't want you to really know my age. Like, what is that? Yeah. That's a resistance to someone knowing something about you that is about just like judgment and about your value and your worth, you know, like oftentimes we want to hide these things about us, our weight. And what I found investigating my mother's death is that she put 110 pounds on all of the medical documents at the plastic surgeon's office, 110, 110, 110. And then when I was reading the California medical board's report about her death and her case, we had a lawsuit. Um, it said, interestingly enough, she was pronounced dead at 140 pounds, but it was 110 in all the documents. And I'm sitting here going like, how interesting, you know, she went in for a tummy tuck that day. And so I wonder like, what was 110 to her? Was that her pre-baby pre weight before having four kids? Um, what, what was that significance? What was she so attached to of what 110 was versus what 140 was? And then the second thing too is, I was shocked to read all this because 
I was 140 pounds mm. when I was reading those documents. Did you so, write 110 on your license? <laughs> no, I, I wrote whatever I am. Like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's the privilege of, of growing here, growing up here a second gen and having access to different forms of privilege. But for mm. me, those numbers, like, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I, I'm 13 months postpartum, you know, and, and I'm not at pre-baby weight right now. And I have the stretch marks, the same stretch marks that I showed in the show of my mother's stretch marks, the last photos that she ever took in her life. I look at mine, I look at hers and go, wow, it looks so the same. Hmm. And I looked at her 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 pictures and I, and I was like, she had a pear-shaped body too. And so really 140 pounds is, is the number that we try to hide, right? Because I'm not trying to say like, hey, 140 is a lot or a little. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, this number was the number she tried to hide. And yet it's the same number in which we share this relationship. And then my very body that I feel ashamed of and that I've taught, been taught to hate because it, it says what my worth is. And if I'm a little chubby, then I am worthless. That very body that I also hate is my mother's last gift to me. So this is a mother-daughter story. And the fact that I choose the number 140 is the number that actually binds us together. Except the thing is, is it's also wrapped in our own self-hatred. And that's why I named it 140 pounds. Wow. That's huge. I mean, no pun intended. <laughs> this is like not trying. <laughs> but seriously, um, can we talk about stretch marks now that you say that? Cause I, I, you know, I, I, I have three, you know, I have three like adult kids almost now. And that, that, um, some people call it dysmorphia and some people call it lifelines, like the stories of your life and you celebrate them. And it's just so interesting. You know, I saw this artwork by this indigenous, um, lady here and she made the, her tummy a map right? And, and it's just beautiful. And, you know, we're talking about kind of processing trauma through artistic practices, but, you know, things like stretch marks, they're not traumatic to say, maybe it is to some people, but they are, they, they represent the transformations in us, right? And, and the things, the experiences and the beautiful stories that come with that, those markings. So the idea of markings, you know, I think stage play is a, it's a form of marking. It's like you're, you're, you're marking your story, but you're also marking it for other people to recognize it in their own stories, right? That connective, like you said, why this is a story about you and your mom. It's not just about your mom. And why, why do all of us connect to your story? You know, I was looking at the post, um, post performance discussions and how people were so resonating with this this is what is it what is it that connects us through those stretch marks and goddamn painful stories right like this is not maybe a question this is just like a feeling i had that i wanted to share yeah well you know i i think all of us has has this judging mind and we're constantly judging to understand like, well, how do I rank up or how do I stack here? Or, or like, am I good? Am I bad? Where we're always like trying to assess things. Um, and, and with that comes the shame of being, mm. right? Like, and, and I think why my story appeals to so many audiences is at the end of the day, Susan and her mom, like Susan is searching for her mom. She wants to be close to her mom. She wants to be nurtured by her mom. We all want connection. 
We are all suffering human beings. And how do we transform past forms of pain into something powerful? So whether you connect with the story because you are also a child of refugees or immigrants and you know your family has had that type of story and you've gone through that struggle to, to, to not be poor anymore, right? And, but at the same time, you have the trauma of being poor or escaping your land, your homeland, and you don't want to, right? Like there's that. And then there's the trauma of loss and grief and not being able to talk about it because mental health is still so stigmatized for Asians and Asian Americans. We are the least likely to ask for help. So true. Right? So true. And, and so like when my mom died, I wish we had uh, grief counseling. Mm -hmm. I wish to this day my family could have a, a more mediated, facilitated conversation around it, but we don't. Yeah. And for the longest time, that pushback that I get from my family like everyone gets that pushback from their family for, for different reasons, right? And and it was just so hard. It's like the very people I'm supposed to be the closest to, I feel so, so distant from. Yeah, and what I, yeah. I learned along the journey is everyone is protecting something. And everyone has their own process to deal, not deal, be in denial, whatever about their trauma because they're, they think that that is the way they're going to protect themselves, whatever that reaction is. Yeah. And so when Susan is trying to interact with all these characters, she's starting to realize like for at first it was binary, like you don't support me, you support me. And then it's like, oh, wow, it's so opaque. You know, we are such complex beings. And that's what I'm trying to get at by the end of the show is that how do we have compassion for the fact that everyone has their own trauma? Yeah. And, and, you know, this crosses all gender, racial, ethnic boundaries. And so that's why it's so resonating. You, you just opened up a lot more questions in my head, but why don't we take a quick break? And when we come back, I'd love to pack, um, unpack the whole kind of intergenerational aspects and those tensions that we have from the immigrant family struggles with the younger generation full of voice and passion to to articulate these issues so don't go away we'll be back <laughs> 